Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Janet McGrory of the University of Ulster. Her paper was entitled Sir Arthur Chichester, an Elizabethan planter in a Stuart kingdom. This paper will examine Sir Arthur Chichester and his grant of Inishowen. Much has been written on the Lord Deputy and his involvement in Ireland, and the Ulster plantation in particular. However, little is known of his affairs on the Donegal Peninsula. The paper will consider the possibility that he carried out his plantation on Inishowen based on his own policies. The very fertile lands in Inishowen at the turn of the 17th century were much sought after as they offered an abundance of cattle, renowned fisheries and were of course strategically vital to the security of Ulster. It goes without saying that Lord Deputy Chichester knew all this and used his connections at court to have Inishowen granted to him as something of a personal fife during the plantation, leasing, both lands, leasing lands to both English and natives, giving the natives very favourable leases. Subsequently, Inishowen became home to the ruling elite of the new plantation citadel of Londonderry, with tenants such as John and Henry Vaughan becoming mayors of the city. Chichester secured several of the most energetic, successful and resilient new Englishmen in the region as large tenants for his estate. Under these tenants, the settlement flourished. The 1641 rebellion is considered partly a reaction to the Ulster plantation, with the native Irish expressing their grievances over loss of land and power. Inishowen, however, remained peaceful during the uprising with no records of violence and natives retaining their land leases following its suppression. Inishowen appears to have been unique and apart from the rest of Donegal and therefore warrants closer investigation. The second son of a lesser noble family with strong Puritan beliefs, Chichester came to Ireland following an extensive military career that saw him serve Elizabeth I under Sir Francis Drake, from which he gathered extensive military experience. The future Viceroy arrived in Ireland in 1599 under Essex, intent on revenge, following the humiliating death of his brother John at the hands of Hugh O'Neill and Surly Boy MacDonald in 1597. Despite this, however, on December 16, 1600, he explained to Lord Deputy Mountjoy that service to the Queen took precedent over vengeance, telling him how he preferred Her Majesty's service before my particular revenge. His swift advancement in the military is acknowledged by successive historians. T.M. Healy suggests that dispatches by which Chichester kept Cecil in touch with Irish affairs shows marvellous policy, and no English captain wielded sword and pen with the same acidity and effect. As a soldier, Chichester had a reputation for extreme ruthlessness. He chillingly revealed an account of an operation near Dungannon. We have burnt and destroyed along the law, even within four miles of Dungannon, where we killed man, woman, child, beast, and whatsoever we found. Elsewhere, Chichester commented that a million swords will not do them so much harm as one winter's famine. The Scorch Earth policy of frightfulness was a commonplace tactic among Elizabethan captains during the war. Moreover, Peter Roebuck remarked in 1979 that Chichester is now seen as an efficient executive whose considerable energy and wide first-hand knowledge of Ireland and its affairs earned him rapid promotion to the supreme position of Lord Deputy. 
The impression given by National School of History is that he was a robber from his youthful days in Devon who later perfected his thieving skills and practised them on a much larger scale in Ireland by prolonging the lands of the Gaelic Irish. In his research on the Lord Deputy, John McCavitt has found that, in fact, the Chichester sought to accommodate the native Irish to a greater extent than previously documented. However ruthless as he have been, have, may have been a more, Chichester seems to have possessed more than a mere hatred of the native Irish, but a desire to create a new society from the ruins of the Nine Years' War. He never believed in the folly of going to the Americas when Ulster lay so desolate with potential to yield wealth on England's doorstep. He remarked in 1610, We are now, all of us, become builders and planters here, and not wasters and destroyers as in our younger years and will gladly rest in quiet if our ill neighbours would permit us, and that makes us the more studious to prevent the revolt and to settle in peace and quiet among them. The flight of the Earls in 1607 had decapitated Gaelic Ulster. Following the confiscation of their lands, the Crown prepared plans for plantation of the estuated counties. Foremost in these preparations, Chichester devised a scheme that would accommodate the native areas alongside planters. In his remembrances touching on plantation and settlement, he presented recommendations to the King for each of the six counties. Crucially, the Lord Deputy advised the King should first proceed with reformation, as he suggested in the following, that the King may be pleased to make a new allotment to the bishops and church, as if His Majesty were to begin a new plantation in some parts of America, from which it does not greatly differ. When this is done, he thinks they will have no great cause to take care for the inferior natives, for they all will settle themselves and their dependency upon the bishops, the undertakers, or the Irish landlords that shall be established by His Majesty's gracious favour. For most of them are by nature inclined rather to be followers and tenants to others than lords or freeholders themselves. While Chichester considered the plight of the Irish, his theories were based more for a desire for peace and stability rather than any commitment to the well-being of the natives. Comparable to his predecessors, the Lord Deputy looked to previous attempts at settling Ireland in order to ascertain the best scheme. Chichester, similar to Edmund Spencer, would have been influenced by the humanist teaching at Cambridge, though he did not graduate with the degree he spent some years there studying before joining the military. The Lord Deputy's policies were shaped by precedent and his wish to lay the foundations of a Protestant society. State papers reveal he considered for Sir William Fitzwilliam settling in Monaghan in 1593 to be of value and recommended a similar scheme for the entire Ulster plantation. Fitzwilliam had implemented the Elizabethan policy of breaking up the Gaelic lordships with natives holding land directly from the Queen. To that end, he had deliberately orchestrated the execution of Rory McMahon, which resulted in the division of McMahon's land. The scheme incorporated both English planter and native chiefs as title holders in the region living side by side, giving direct allegiance to the Crown. This achievement was working sufficiently enough to be left alone in the Ulster Plantation. The architects of the Ulster Plantation hoped the region would provide land for the underemployed and expanding population of England, but Chichester also thought that the natives should be accommodated and used as a labour force. Now Lord Deputy, he saw potential in what Fitzwilliam had achieved in Monaghan, envisaging a society where the Gaelic Lord was replaced by a prosperous Protestant community. Moreover, the Deputy's objective to Protestantise Ireland remained one of the most vital components of his overall drive to anglicise the country. Indeed, he placed his religious objective in perspective when he described it as of great weight and consequence, wherein if there be no reformation, all the buildings and labours here are but in vain, and this needs no further demonstration nor argument. 
Tutor's expressed wish to eradicate Catholicism in Ireland was in the mainstream of English Protestant opinion. At first, the London authorities accepted the Viceroy's modest plantation proposals. The English Privy Council went so far as to assure him that the King has such confidence in Church's discretion and integrity that he professes that he shall be an oracle to him in that determination. If Chichester, not a keen supporter of saturation plantation policies anyway, had Protestantised Ireland, he would have considered it even less necessary to settle it with large number of colonists. James VI and I envisaged a Great Britain, rich and powerful, and with regard to Ireland, he naturally sought advice from men familiar with its native and its terrain. But experiences of officials such as Chichester and Lord Justice Sir John Davies differed in their ideas of what settling Ireland and in particular Ulster should entail. Davies believed that the natives should be driven out and the whole country given over to new planters from England and Scotland. Both men believed that their plan would yield the results necessary for peace, expansion of crown power and prosperity. Although the Crown valued Chichester's vast knowledge of Irish affairs, James Stowe chose instead Davies' scheme for plantation following the outbreak of Cahar O'Doherty's rebellion in 1608, which had far-reaching consequences for the entire province. In the division of the six plantation counties that followed, Chichester received large swaths of land in Antrim and Inishon. Prior to this division, the Lord Deputy had sought help to obtain the peninsula, enlisting influential men of court, such as Sir John Davies, Sir Francis Ansley and Sir Joseph Strode, to help obtain possession of Inishon from the King. For decades, Inishon's potential had been known to the English Crown. Northern Chiefs O'Neill and O'Donnell had disputed also over ownership of the peninsula. In the 1570s, O'Donnell's claim to Inishon came under scrutiny. Sir Hugh pointed out in 1579 that the revenue of O'Donnell was more to me than all the rest of Tyrconnell, and six years later it was incorporated into the county. Situated in the northwest of the country, surrounded by the Loch Foyle, Loch Swilly and Atlantic Ocean, it provided an easy access into Ulster, one that was utilised by Sir Henry Dougra to break the power of the Earls during the Nine Years' War. Inish owns chief Sean O'Gordy engaged in a surrender and regrant agreement on October 1588, whereby he would hold Inish own directly from the Crown. However, the peninsula's remoteness from Dublin resulted in O'Doherty giving allegiance to O'Donnell prior to the commencement of the Nine Years' War. Elizabeth's instructions to Essex on the 25th of March 1599 read as follows. We have given you liberty to pass the land of certain persons named in your commission, but you are not to pass away the lands of O'Doherty or Sir Arthur O'Neill, as we have reason to believe their defection is rather of necessity than disloyalty. Indeed, O'Doherty continued to support the native lords until his death in 1600, which itself created a contingency for the English to take hold of the strategically important land. The English authorities seldom missed an opportunity to exploit feuds between the Gaelic families. Similarly, O'Donnell saw the Inishon's chief as a chance to take full control of Inishon. However, O'Doherty's son Cahar was presented to Dougra and Derry with an assurance of loyalty to the Crown, and immediately the rebels lost their hold on the peninsula. Despite his father's disloyalty, the young man became Lord of Inishon, receiving a grant of his father's land except the island of Inch, and became a most devoted subject of the Crown. Inishon existed harmoniously within the Crown's authority until a dispute with Sir George Pollitt, Governor of Derry, precipitated Cahar's Rebellion of 1608. Having lost his grip on the control of the plantation, Chichester followed instructions from the King on policy. 
However, it appears in any show the Lord Deputy followed his own plan on how to manage the new plantation. The State Papers 1601 recorded a description of Inishon giving details of all who resided on the peninsula and of its castles, forts and waterways. This record identifies the well-established family steps which provides information important for comparative analysis following the plantation. Chichester had nine Irish tenants, seven of whom held the land as freeholders and two for two lives. These tenants were O'Doherty's and McLaughlin's, names prominent in any shown for centuries. This was entirely in keeping with Chichester's low-intensity approach to colonial policy. Naturally, Chichester gave the most fertile land in the south of the peninsula to English tenants, many of whom were servitors and had served directly under him in the Nine Years' War. Had the servitors received their share of land elsewhere, Chichester may have been more generous to the natives. Little is directly known about the early activities of the head tenants, beyond the fact that by 1630 there were a substantial number of English and Scottish undertakers in some parts of the estate. At that stage, English and Scottish settlement was heavily planted in the southern parish of Burt, Inch, Fawn and Muff, and the number of Irish there had been drastically eroded. This was primarily a consequence of geographical location rather than inherent productivity, for the parishes were adjacent to two of the most dynamic elements in in the Ulster plantation, the London finance and prospering port of Derry and the heavily Scottish precinct of Portlaw in the barony of Rafaux. By 1640, the precarious peace in Ulster began to unravel. The ensuing rebellion that followed resulted in a bloodbath of atrocities. However, there is no evidence in the 1641 depositions to indicate any revolt on any shown, nor do any records imply any shown men joined the fight elsewhere. In addition, hearth records show that any shown's native population remained on the peninsula and ownership of the land does not appear to change. Chichester had hoped that plantation would lead to a flourishing community, which in turn would bring stability. This stability in any shown during 1641 could also be attributed to economic reasons. In 1614, St Oliver John stated that, Great good will come into this kingdom by transporting cattle and corn from hence to England, for this kingdom will be able to spare great quantities of both, which will bring money into it and make this barbarous nation feel the sweets thereof for the love of it will sooner affect civility than any other persuasion whatsoever. This theory is in keeping with Chichester's ideology that if native Irish were allowed to thrive side by side with planters, it would result in a peaceful and prosperous society. But given his Irish tenants their particular leases, he enabled them to feel secure in their holdings. As a backdrop to Derry, any showman must certainly have reaped the rewards of the growing port. In Londonderry, by 1612-13, the customs had almost quadrupled in value. The wide-reaching influence of Londonderry as a port can be illustrated by the fact that areas as far as Dungannon, northwest Fermanagh, Straban, and presumably also Lifford, and much of North Donegal, use Londonderry as a trading centre. To conclude, Sir Arthur Chichester had envisaged a settlement that would bring peace to Ireland. To this end, he felt Native Irish needed to be accommodated in order to prevent any further uprising. While he did not give the Native Irish the same consideration as English and Scottish planters, his inclusion of them and the manner of that inclusion stunted Inishon's involvement in the 1641 rebellion. Perhaps if similar strategies had been in place elsewhere, the carnage of 1641 may have been avoided.